again, everyone, and welcome once again to Inside the USFL. I'm your host, Tom Meese, and this week's program emanates from New York City, home of the USFL Commissioner Chet Simmons. Later on in this program, we'll be having a chat with Commissioner Simmons about the first four weeks of activity in the United States Football League. We'll also be showing you highlights from weekend number four of USFL action, and as you'll see in those highlights, the springtime weather that was advertised in the United States Football League was anything but spring-like. All that and much more to come in the next 30 minutes on Inside the USFL. clean, crisp taste that says Budweiser. This Bud's for you. Standing in the middle of Rockefeller Plaza in New York City, and right now, as you can see, the fountains are going and the tulips are starting to bloom, and pretty soon, springtime will be in full evidence here in New York. Last weekend was anything but springtime in all six locations for the United States Football League. It rained at each and every site including the site of the game between the only two teams left unbeaten in the USFL after three weeks, Philadelphia, where the Stars played host to the Tampa Bay Bandits. In fact, the rains which started falling 90 minutes before kickoff helped to hold down the crowd around 18,000, but they didn't hold back Tampa Bay quarterback John Reeves, who connected early in the first quarter with Eric Trevillian out of Florida A&M, early 7-0 Bandit lead. But on Philadelphia's next possession from the I formation, running back Kelvin Bryant, the leading rusher in the USFL, goes 35 yards to tie the score. Bryant would run for 112 yards in this ballgame to keep his rushing lead. But it was a tough day for Philly quarterback Chuck Fusina. Here Fusina gets intercepted by Jeff George, who returns at 13 yards for the touchdown, 14-7 Tampa Bay. Now in the second quarter, 17-10 Tampa Bay, Sam Platt makes it 24-10. Late in the first half, we see Fusina suffering more of a tough day. He gets sacked for the Tampa Bay Blitz and suffers a hip pointer. He's out for the game. Tampa Bay led 27-13 at halftime. In the second half, though, Tampa Bay was shut down. Greg Boone fumbles the ball early. The uh, Stars recover. They would get a field goal out of it. And then in the fourth quarter, Jim Crone, it's a little swing pass to number 44, Kelvin Bryant. And watch the brilliant moves by the 44 Magnum out of North Carolina. His touchdown makes it 27-22 Tampa Bay, but the Stars would miss the two-point conversion, so they still trail by five late in the game. Now the Stars are forced to punt. Number 82, Martin Cox, back to receive for Tampa Bay. He muffs the ball, but somehow Cox and the Bandits manage to recover. They beat the Stars 27-22 to remain undefeated. We really didn't throw the ball much uh, with the weather the way it was. And with our lead, uh, we didn't want to take too many chances, and uh, our guys were slipping around, so uh, we kind of went to the ball control. We don't like to do that, but uh, it just happened that way today. I prefer to get the, get the win than, than 100 yards. 
He almost came back and did it. Uh, you think you, if you'd had one more possession, you might have? I think we could have had a chance. You know, they, their defense was playing, still playing real hard. And, you know, we was taking the ball at them. I think we could have had a chance to score another touchdown. So the Tampa Bay Bandits, the only unbeaten team out in the USFL, beat Philadelphia 27-22. to Meanwhile, last Monday night in Mile High Stadium in Denver, a game seen live here on ESPN, the Oakland Invaders invading Mile High Stadium. Who is that guy? Is that Darth Vader or what? I don't know. The rain didn't hamper him, and it didn't hamper Harry Sidney, the excellent running back for the Denver goalie. He had three consecutive runs for first downs, like this one around the outside. On this same drive, opening drive of the game, quarterback Ken Johnson hits Bob Nazolik, his tight end, for the game's opening touchdown. Now watch on the extra point, the snap will be low. And so what does the Denver goal do? They turn around and they throw a two-point conversion pass. Jeff Napel finds Larry Canada, eight-nothing goal. Late in the first quarter, here's that man again, number 24, Harry Sidney. He runs for 20 around that same right end. Sidney had 87 yards in this game. The drive continued into the second quarter, third and goal. Johnson hits Vic James in the breadbasket for a touchdown. It's 15-nothing, Denver. Now, the Invaders finally got something going in the second half. Quarterback Fred Bassana is back to pass, however, and he's sacked by Calvin Turner. Three sacks by Denver in one half alone, and Red Miller, well, he's very happy with his team up 15-0. Third quarter, Miller's team, Denver on the drive, second and 12. Kenny Johnson completes one to Howard Bellage, first and goal to two. Oakland pushed Denver backwards, but Oakland gets called for holding. Coach John Ralston says, are you kidding me? I can't believe it. On the very next play now, watch running back Larry Canada fall down, but watch the guy come in and spear him. Too many chances for the gold. They go on and win the game. Harry Sidney, the touchdown, 22 to nothing. The final, Denver gold beats the Oakland Invaders. We probably did get a little bit conservative there in the second half. We had a good lead, and uh, we, we think we can run the ball, you know, pretty much up the teeth of any defense, and, and uh, that's pretty much what we try to do. So Denver wins at home in Mile High Stadium last Monday night, 22-12 over Oakland in a game seen right here on ESPN. We said it rained everywhere in the USFL. That included the Meadowlands in New Jersey where the Generals went looking for their first win against the Boston Breakers. It wasn't to come. Early on, it looked like it was going to come. Bobby Scott connects on a 39-yard pass to Herschel Walker down to the one-yard line. That set up a general touchdown. New Jersey led at one point in this game, 21-10. When it counted, they fumbled. Herschel Walker, a nice rumble up the middle. Oops, forgets the football. Boston recovers. They eventually would score. And in the fourth quarter, once again, Herschel, who ran for over 90 yards in this game, would fumble. Boston would recover and score. Minutes later, Bobby Scott fading back the pass, and he'd forget the football also. Well, it was pretty tough to take because of the way we lost. I think after, uh, at least after having yourself down for a while and, and uh, coming back, it kind of, at least kind of, Halftime that we had, we had a lot of emotion. We was at least we had, at least we was winning. We was in the driver's seat, and then we went out and we had a few disappointments. But then we still had a scoreboard up there. And then lately we, at least our farming, and then that's what really the disappointment came. So the New Jersey Generals fans go home disappointed again because their favorite team fumbled away another chance for victory. Boston winning it, 31 to 21. Stay with us here on Inside the USFL. When I return, I'll check out the latest lines for the games of weekend number five in the United States Football League with our resident odds maker Gary Austin and handicapper Jim Fight. A Las Vegas report is up next on Inside the USFL.
Is this how you picture an Atlantic City casino? <laughs> then you haven't seen the new Playboy. This is... <laughs> We've taken Atlantic City out of the Stone Age. I want Oh, I like your dress, dear. With a very civilized Hello. casino. Hey, why don't you join us for dinner, huh? Four civilized restaurants. And star-studded civilized shows. Come to the new Playboy Hotel and Casino and enjoy civilization. Fine, fine, thank you. But alas, the new Playboy doesn't appeal to everyone. You like it? I hate it. He hates it. Civilization comes to Atlantic City. The new Playboy Hotel and Casino. Jerry Lewis and Julie Budd, appearing April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd at the Playboy Cabaret. SFL, everyone. I'm Tom Meese in New York City at T.J. Tucker's Restaurant. And time to join now our Las Vegas cohorts, oddsmaker Gary Austin and Jim Feist, expert handicapper, to get their ideas on what's going to happen in week number five of the United States Football League. Gentlemen, we have two games uh, this coming Saturday. Let's begin at the beginning. Game number one, as the Boston Breakers will be hosting the Birmingham Stallions in Boston. How do you see this game, Gary? Well, in the Boston game, it seems like they uh, constantly get the breaks, and so even though uh, this game maybe should be picked, we're going to make the lucky Boston Breakers a four-point favorite over Birmingham. Uh, Tom, I, I think Boston has been very lucky. Their defense is like a sieve. They average giving up 362 yards a game. I can't lay four points with any team with a defense like that. I'm going to take Birmingham, who I think has a decent defense, I'm going to take the points. Well, what about the second game? Tampa Bay Bandits undefeated, taking on a very stubborn Chicago Blitz team at a record of 2-2. Two and two. This game will be seen on ESPN. How do you think this one's going to come out? Making Tampa a field goal, a three-point favorite over the Chicago Blitz, and we'll find out uh, just how good Chicago is this week. Tom, like Gary said, uh, Tampa is perfect. They have a 4-0 record in the win-loss column, and they're 4-0 against the spread. But... Uh, more important, this game is critical to Chicago's season. There are two games behind Tampa in the Central Division. I think they're an equal club with Tampa. I'm going to take the points. All right, now we get to Sunday's schedule. Washington Federals picking up their first win of the season last week in overtime against Michigan, but now they're on the road again against the Philadelphia Stars. Stars coming off a tough loss to Tampa Bay. Philadelphia would appear to be the favorite in this game. Uh, in this game this weekend, uh, Chuck Fuzina was hurt uh, last week, but we expect him to be back, and we're making Philadelphia a seven-point favorite over the Washington Federals. Washington uh, needed the aid of seven turnovers last week against Michigan to win the game. And I don't know if everybody knows this, but Washington's offense is averaging 43 yards a game on the ground. I think Philadelphia's too good a club. They're going to control the ball, and they're going to win this game. I'd lay the seven. The Oakland Invaders continue their road trip against the Los Angeles Express back in the Coliseum. This looks like it will be a most interesting matchup, doesn't it, Gary? Uh, in this game, which should develop into a pretty good rivalry, we're making Los Angeles a very small two-and-a-half-point favorite over Oakland, who seems to have a much better offense than their defense. Oakland's coming off a very tough game against Denver on Monday night. They have a short week of preparation, and they're playing their third straight game on the road. L.A. has lost their last two games, but both of those were on the road. Now they're coming home where they have a perfect record, both against the spread and straight up. 
I'm going to take Los Angeles and lay the two and a half. Also on Sunday, we have the New Jersey Generals uh, going west, if you will, looking for their first win. With a record of 0-4, they're taking on the Arizona Wranglers, who sport a 2-2 two two record. The game will be played in Tempe. So you would think that the Wranglers would be favored at home, wouldn't you, Gary? Uh, last week, again, there was a lot of late money for New Jersey, and again, they uh, really flopped in the game. This week, we're making Arizona a 7-point favorite over New Jersey, and I'm interested to see which way Jim will be going. Tom, the Wranglers are one of the youngest teams in the league, and here they are, a 7-point favorite. Uh, Jersey, no offense. Michigan, on the other hand, their offense is coming together, but they turned the ball over numerous times last week and lost again. I'm going to go with the home team and a slight edge. Thanks once again, Gary Austin and Jim Feist, for being with us and telling us what's on your mind concerning the Lions and which way these games will go in week number five of the United States Football League. Another guy who always has something on his mind concerning the USFL is our very own Paul McGuire. Thank you, Tom. If there's one position in this young USFL league that has impressed everybody more than anybody else, it's the linebacker position. Now, you take a look at, at the Michigan Panthers. They've kept eight linebackers on a 40-man squad. They cut three linebackers so far, or they're starting with other football teams. The reason the linebackers are so much more impressive, defense is always much more ahead of the offense. First of all, you take a look at the linebackers in this league. They are guys that have played for other teams in the National Football League. That gives them a, a more, much more of an advantage than other players. The linebackers are killing the offensive linemen with what? With blitzes. Now, if you don't know where the linebackers play, they play behind the defensive linemen and in front of the defensive secondary. But the linebackers in this league blitz all the time, and that's what's giving quarterbacks the fits, and that's why they're much more ahead of everybody else. They don't have to read the offensive line that well. That gives them the advantage. You're going to see a lot of different changes in the USFL as far as positions are concerned, linebackers. Sometimes you'll see four. Sometimes you'll see three. The Oakland Invaders at times on the field have four linemen, one linebacker, and six defensive backs. So as far as the positions right now that I'm impressed with after four weeks of football in the USFL, it has to be the linebackers. Back to you, Tom. Thanks very much, Paul. We'll look forward to hearing from you again next week on Inside the USFL. But don't go away. When Inside the USFL continues in a moment, we'll have highlights from still more of the action of weekend number four in the United States Football League. Want to know how I landed this job? I'll show you. Here, in the National Business Employment Weekly, look. Hundreds of career advancement positions from every regional edition of the Wall Street Journal. The best jobs in the country all across the country every week. Executive, managerial, and professional at salaries from $25,000 to $250,000. And articles every week that help you pick just the right job. Zero in on it and land it. If somebody tells you opportunity knocks only once, don't believe it. It knocks hundreds of times every week in the National Business Employment Weekly. Pick it up at your newsstand today. If you prefer, you can get the next eight issues of the National Business Employment Weekly rushed to you by first-class mail for $29. Call toll-free in the continental U.S., 800-228-5505. That's 800-228-5505. Major credit cards accepted. Jobs this good don't stay open long, so call today. They call Birmingham, Alabama the miracle city of the South. Well, with all the rain and the wind they had last Saturday night in Birmingham, it was indeed a miracle that the USFL game between Birmingham and Arizona was ever played. It was played, and for the slim crowd that showed up in Alabama, the Stallions fans were glad that it was.
game was seen right here on ESPN. Let's go to Legion Field in Birmingham and take a look at the highlights. How hard was it raining? Now well, you get a picture of it. Early on, though, Arizona's Alan Risher hands off to running back Calvin Murray, who fumbles the ball back to the Birmingham Stallions. They gain an early turnover, and that set up an early 48-yard field goal attempt by their excellent field goal kicker, Scott Norwood, who would be 3-for-3 three three on this night. He hits that one, 3-0 Birmingham. And in the second quarter, with a score 6-0 Birmingham, Quarterback Bob Lane hands off to Earl Gant, who sprints 17 yards up the middle. That set up Norwood's third and final field goal of the night. He boots this one 32 yards, 9-0 Stallions at halftime. Third quarter, though, the Wranglers did put some points on the board. Rookie quarterback Alan Risher out of LSU connects with former Florida State All-American Jackie Flowers for a 15-yard touchdown, 9-7 Birmingham. But in the fourth quarter, the Stallions drive again. Bob Lane bootlegs to his left for 12 yards, sending up the Stallions' first and only touchdown. With a minute 40 to go in the game, Cornelius Quarles streaks for a 39-yard touchdown to put it away. Birmingham wins it 16-7. After the game, we spoke with victorious Birmingham coach, Rolly Duck. It's uh, been a tough fight, and uh, we had some injuries going into the game. I wasn't real sure with the Monday night game last Monday. Uh, a very short week, and Arizona was on a roll, so... We're real pleased and happy that our guys fought hard and uh, finally came out on top. So the Stallions did come out on top 16-7. To Even their record at 2-2, two two, Arizona's record also 2-2. Two two. In the nation's capital, RFK Stadium was signed as the Washington Federals went looking for their first win of the year against the Michigan Panthers. They had to go overtime to get it. Again, rain of factor, a muddy field. Kim McCrulkin hits Mike Holmes for Washington. A 40-yard touchdown, and the Federals take an early 10-0 lead. Then Michigan strikes back. Anthony Carter scores his first pro touchdown. Quarterback Bobby Abair hits Carter. He bounces off a couple of tacklers. Goes into the end zone, 33 yards, and a score. It's 10-7. But with one second left before the half, McQuilkin finds Joey Walters all alone in the end zone for Washington. The Federals lead it 16-7. With a score tied, rather score 16-13, with uh, just a few seconds left to play, Michigan ties it up on a 43-yard field goal by Novo Boyevic. They go into overtime. And on the first drive of overtime, it's again McQuilkin to Walters. The Federals win it. 22-16 in overtime at RFK Stadium. At Soldier Field in Chicago, the Blitz and the L.A. Express will pick it up second quarter action. 3-0 Chicago ahead at the time. Quarterback Greg Landry, a great day, 20-36. of 36. Here he hits Trumaine Johnson, 23 yards to the one-yard line. That set up a Kevin Long plunge for the touchdown. Chicago led it 10-0 at the half. But in the third quarter, L.A.'s Tony Bodie is wide open over the middle. Quarterback Tom Ramsey spots him. And all of a sudden, the Chicago leaders cut to 10 to 7. Now, the Blitz uh, moved down the field later in the game. They cap a 60-yard drive with a five-yard TD pass to Doug Cozen. Or was it? The LA Express claim offensive interference. The referee says no. It was defensive interference. They refused the penalty. The touchdown's good. 17-7 Blitz. Ramsey moved the Express down the field again, though. This time, Ricky Ellis beats safety Don Schwartz in the end zone. And watch what he does after the touchdown. In your toe, fella. 17-14. to 14. But George Allen's teams are known for defense when it counts most. Here's an interception by linebacker Eddie Smith as the Express tried desperately to come up with a come-from-behind win. And again, watch Eddie Brown come up with another interception of a Tom Ramsey pass. The Blitz go on to win this one. Final score, Chicago 20 and the L.A. Express 14. Now the standings in the USFL in the Atlantic Division. Philadelphia and Boston are now tied for the lead with records of 3-1. Washington 103, 1-3, and, and New Jersey is 0-4. 
In the Central Division, Tampa Bay, the only undefeated team in the league, 4-0, has a two-game lead over Birmingham and Chicago. Michigan brings up the rear at 1-3. And, and in the Pacific Division, hey, they're all even. Every team, Arizona, Denver, L.A., and Oakland, each with a 2-2 two two record. Our DuPont Player of the Week this week for the second time in this young season, Tampa Bay quarterback John Reeves. Reeves returned to Philadelphia last week and completed 16 of 32 passes for 269 yards and a touchdown. One of them coming here, of course, to Eric Trevelyan. John Reeves has had a great, great season for the Tampa Bay Bandits, one of the big reasons why the Bandits are 4-0. So congratulations to this week's DuPont Player of the Week, quarterback John Reeves of the Tampa Bay Bandits. This DuPont Player of the Week has been brought to you by Rain Dance Car Wax Products. Rain dancing on your car's finish means the wax protection isn't finished. And who keeps the rain dancing? Rain Dance. It's guaranteed to last longer than the leading car wax paste or poly. Water beating proves it. Rain Dance keeps the water beating long after the competition falls flat. And longer lasting means less waxing. So keep the rain dancing longer on your car with Rain Dance. And you won't have to wax so often. There's an old saying that goes, if you want to know what's really going on in a company, you go to the top. So that's what we've done. We've come to the office of Commissioner Chet Simmons of the United States Football League. Check out the new league after its first four weeks of operation. Chet, a year ago, you and I would be able to sit down in the offices at ESPN and maybe conjecture about a new football league. One year later, here we are four uh, weeks into the league's inaugural season. And as its commissioner, I'd like to ask you as my first question, an overview of how things have gone. Well, Tom, I think they've gone very well. We look at the competitive aspects of the league at this point. We have uh, one of our conferences is uh, everybody has a two and two record. I think the, the season has been very, very competitive. I think we're beginning to establish some of our own stars, particularly people like, like Kelvin Bryan, who mm. has just been amazing for us and with the Philadelphia Stars. I think generally uh, we're very, very pleased with the way the league has gone through its first month. The television ratings for the first week of USFL action, both on ESPN and on ABC, were very high. They've come down, though, in each of the last three weeks. Is this a source of concern for you? We have gone up against one of the three happenings in sports during the course of the year. World Series, the NFL Super Bowl, and the NCAA's Final Four in their tournament. There is nothing that gets greater attention than the NCAA basketball championships, and we've been up against them now for two solid weeks. So I think that the ratings, as we've looked at them, our quarter-hour ratings, as Nielsen does rate them, have shown, shown increases from uh, throughout the whole three-hour period. That is encouraging to me. And in each of the six markets that we're able to see on a weekly basis, what we call overnight ratings, we have not been wiped out by NCAA basketball or by anything else. So I think that the power of the league right now, the strength is in the big cities during the basketball period, strength of basketball and the stronger markets. Once that goes away, I think that we'll be able to bring those rating levels back up. We'll level out to a point that I think will be above our early estimates. Jeff, when the All-American Football League came into existence in 1960, it wasn't nearly as well off as the USFL is as far as TV contracts and exposure goes. What is the comparison, if any, between the AFL and the USFL? Well, I think in both instances, both attendance in the stadiums and television ratings, we are far superior to what the American League did at that point 20-odd years ago. The American mm -hmm. League went through a couple of seasons where very, very rarely did they get to five figures in attendances. 
and we have had only one instance, and that was mm. just in a monsoon-like weather in Birmingham, mm. where we fell below uh, we fell below a five-figure attendance. Mm. We're still averaging somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000 fans, and I felt all along that if we had a 25 to 30,000 average around the league, we would be successful in our first year. National Football League recently, uh, Chet uh, said that they were going to move all of their draft from two days into a one-day period, meaning about 17 straight hours. Is this, in a way, a compliment to the United States Football League? Oh, I think we've gotten their attention, and there's no question that all the analysts have looked at that and say that's a really a direct move against the United States Football League. And sure, it's flattery, but we've caught their attention. I think there are players that will be available that want to play with us. We'll get them no matter when the NFL drafts, Tom. Does Pete Rozelle control your weather? You've had a lot of bad luck with it. Well, that's a lost weekend for us. Yeah. Last weekend was a lost weekend, but we can look with uh, mm -hmm. on a couple of the markets where it rained like the devil here in New York City, mm -hmm. and over 30,000 fans came out to see the Generals play. Uh, in Denver, where it snowed and rained and sleeted for the entire course of the game, 38,000 people came out for a very, very entertaining, competitive game. If they control the weather that I think their control will begin to lose a little grasp of it once we get beyond the month of March. The New Jersey Generals, after signing Walker, are 0-4, Chet. Is it very important for the USFL to have a team that eventually succeeds in the New York metropolitan area? There's no question about it. We need successful franchises in all our markets, but I think New York really, because of the focus on it, is essential to be strong. A reminder, you always have a 50-yard line seat for USFL action live here on ESPN. This Saturday night will be in beautiful Tampa, Florida at Tampa Stadium as the undefeated Tampa Bay Bandits play host to George Allen Chicago Blitz. That game comes your way at 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific time. And remember, be back with us same time next week on ESPN for another edition of Inside the USFL.